that's the place I want to be because I know where that I know that that is what leads to the surprises and and to me it's what it's what leads to to work that that speaks to me. And welcome to episode 175 of Art Juice. This is honest, generous, and humorous conversations to feed your creative soul and get you thinking. With me, Louise Fletcher. And today, Alice is taking a break, and I have a special guest. American artist Jane Davis has agreed to step into Alice's shoes and join me for this week's Arty Chat. Before I welcome her, I just want to tell you a little bit about her for those very few people who haven't come across her online. Jane is a full-time artist working in painting and collage. She teaches in person and online. She helps people develop their own visual language and their technical skills. She began her art career as a potter before transitioning into freelance art, painting and collage primarily. She has written five books, including the fabulous Elements of Visual Language book that I have. And she also has made a DVD on painting and collage techniques. Her work is sold through a gallery. She lives in Vermont in the USA, and her work is sold through the Edgewater Gallery in Middlebury, Vermont, and via her website, which is janedavisstudios.com, and there will be links in the show notes to all of Jane's places that you can find her. Um, but welcome, Jane. It's lovely to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm delighted, and um, those are big shoes to fill, Yeah, Alice. <laughs> Well, it's not literally. She hasn't got particularly okay. big feet, I don't think. But, but okay. Well, she looms large in my in my art imagination. So well, initially when I thought of approaching you, I was thinking of the traditional interview. But I just think there's a lot of artist interview podcasts out there, and I like the format of our podcast where we're just chatting and discussing an idea and. I found you because of your interest in today's main topic, um, which is our main topic is exploration and where it fits into our art. And so I thought you'd be the perfect guest to bring on and have a chat about that. But before we get into that main topic, what's going on with you at the moment in your art world, Jane? I've kind of in the last few months developed or discovered or explored my way into a process uh, whereby I'm kind of reusing and recycling or upcycling older work. I'm taking old paintings on that are on panel and sanding them down, like sanding them to get some really interesting texture and then using that as a base for, for new pieces. And then works on paper, I'm sanding them and then cutting them up into bits and soaking the pieces in water and peeling the paper off. So I get these kind of skins of acrylic paint and collage. I never even thought you could do that. Well, who knew? I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that developed. It was not a like a technique I learned from someone. Um, and yet I I wouldn't say, oh, I've invented this either. I mean, I, I just sort of came across it in in um, I don't know, just messing around in my studio. And so then I'm using those as collage pieces and making these um, kind of collage mosaic type pieces on very lightweight paper and then cutting those up and using those in pieces that are on canvas or board or, and I don't know where it's going at all. It, so that, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I have work in a couple of shows this fall and I'd like to show this work. I mean, I have enough of it done that I know I can, I can commit to this one show um, and another show I might I might put in some older work. It's kind of nice to have a show ahead of me where I can I can display this work. And and are they okay? I presume they're okay with the fact that it's completely something different and new and not what they've seen from you before. Well, surprise or not surprisingly, it uh, it looks like my other work. I mean, I think you know, my color palette and my sensibility are, are clear. And I don't think it's that big of a, of a departure. Yeah. And then I'm doing these other pieces. Uh, I'm doing these stripes that are, that are like targets. I call them moving targets. They're concentric circle stripes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but I'm like layering and layering the colors and sanding them down and using some collage in them. They're mostly painting. And then I'm sawing them in half. They're on board on panel. As you do. <laughs> yeah. So I'm cutting I'm just them in imagining half. Imagining beginner painters going, you're doing what? You're making yeah, a painting and you're sawing it in half? <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah, I'm using a chop saw on these 10 by 10 inch pieces. And I think I might need to use the table saw for large pieces. I love sawing them in half. And then I put them together, like different halves together. And they don't fit very well because they're really kind of loosely concentric circles and they're all different colors. Yeah, it's an exploration. Which is perfect for this week's topic. This week's topic for me, um, before we go on to this week's topic, is perfect because when I came to write where I'm at this week in my notes, I was like, oh, where am I at? I'm a little bit... I just went on Monday to the gallery that I've had an exhibition on for the last six weeks and we had some good sales, but there were a few pieces I made that were really big and that weren't, I didn't ever expect to sell. And I knew I'd be bringing those home and also a few smaller ones. So I went to collect them and brought them back, said goodbye to the ones that are getting shipped off. And then just looked around and did a good tidy up of my studio and then looked around and thought, right, what do I do now? And I thought, what perfect timing. It's almost like the universe dictated to me that we would talk about exploration today because when I get into this situation, which I've been in once or twice before, exploration is my go-to or maybe call it experimentation or maybe call it play, but it's my go-to right, then let's just do some some crazy things. Let's just do whatever comes to mind and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So let's move on and talk about that. So we had a chat some time ago when you were in my membership group and we did uh, we had a lovely chat about your process in general, how you work. And one of the things that struck me in that chat and one of the things that very first drew me to you when I first discovered you is is exactly how experimental and exploratory you are. So you have a YouTube channel and it's all these videos, which I discovered a few years ago, of you just doing stuff, just all sorts of stuff. And I remember when I saw those and I was at the beginning of my painting journey and I was like, my mouth was open because I was still at that stage of trying to get things right. I'm trying to make a good painting. And here's this person who's just going, oh, I'm just going to do some marks and now I'm just going to stick this collage on and I'm just going to see what happens. And it opened up my mind. It was like, I could see all these possibilities all of a sudden. And so my first kind of question to you is, is that always how you've been? Or did you come to this kind of gradually? Uh, Yes, I came to it gradually. I I had certainly a stage like I like the way you described it when I was still trying to get things right. How long have you been on your art journey? I came back to my painting in 2012. Okay. So, uh, back first, to it. so you've been away from it for a while? Yeah, I, I was, um, when I was young, I painted and drew all the time. When I left college, which wasn't an art college, but there was some art, I went into corporate life, left England, moved to America. It was only in 2012 when I moved back to England that I all of a sudden was like, oh, I need to I need to be creative somehow the moving away somehow I lost all that part of myself and as soon as I got back here it came back so 2012 but from 2012 till 2018 it's like the lost years because I feel like those are the years where I had no guidance and I was just Mm. trying to get it right and finally when I found the right teachers things opened up Hmm. I'm curious about whether that you say the lost years and I sort of feel like I had some lost years too but I wonder (laughs) if if just um the way making a lot of bad art is kind of necessary to making good art I wonder if that phase of trying to get it right is a necessary phase it seems to be common I mean I don't know anyone who starts 
there must be people, but I don't know anyone who says, oh yeah, I started my art practice by just like throwing shit together and seeing what happens. <laughs> um, I think it takes a while to get the bravery to do that, but you do need technical skill. You need technical skill to throw things together. And you also need a, need a visual sensibility. You need to see, you need to be able to see. Cause if you like shut your eyes and didn't have any technical skill or you had no visual sensibility, it hadn't been cultivated because you're new, say, you haven't cultivated any um, taste, any personal taste, say in, in art. Yeah. Obviously, based in things you, you're more experienced with. You've got like some crayons and some paint. And I, it's hard for me to imagine being able to throw things together and see what happens in a productive way because you can't see yet. Yeah, I think when I started, I definitely had the taste side of it in that I knew what I liked. Yes, then so I you would have go, some art experience. Yeah, so I would then I would go try and, okay, well, I'll try and do something like that person because I like theirs. And then, of course, and now I get students that do this, they say, oh, but it doesn't look as good as theirs. And I, well, no, of course not, because they've had years of doing what they're doing and you're trying to mimic it and your first attempt is not going to be good. Mm -hmm. But it was quite dispiriting. And what made me open up to experimentation, even before I found your channel, was a, a course two-day course with um, a local painter, Leslie Birch. If you're listening, Leslie, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but she had this room. She'd rented loads of paper, loads of materials, collage, paints, pens. And then she kind of said, right, we're going to mess around and play. And she did some demos. And I, as she was doing the demos, I had this big light bulb moment of, oh, the effects she gets in her paintings that I like come from this process of experimenting and playing not this master plan that she has in her head when she starts of I'm going to do that layer then that layer then that layer and it's all going to come together realizing that that's how it works for most people I know it there are people who have a master plan but for most people who work in an expressive or semi-abstract or abstract way there's this process of finding your painting Mm -hmm. when I realized that it then I could see so that was 2018 and then everything sped up because then I could see the way forward okay if I start doing that now yes my initial attempts will be not very good but I can see that that'll lead me to something instead and you don't of, know what that is yeah instead of this careful trying to get something right and getting frustrated that I was doing but so mm -hmm. you're saying that you you did have that phase of trying to get it right so then what led you to to be more experimental um I think just experience and and the wisdom that comes with that and I, I'll say like I don't feel like I'm completely over my phase of trying to get it right I mean I know intellectually that that doesn't that doesn't fly, but it seems like cyclically, like, I don't know how, how frequently, but I get, maybe I lose my confidence or I lose my way. And, you know, like no one's buying my work. I wonder eh, people buy representational work or, you know, may, maybe I could try something representational that in which I can explore the same kind of abstract language issues that I explore in my abstract work. Seems like a fair proposition. Seems like someone like me ought to be able to do that. So can I paint houses or barns or landscapes or florals or, you know, can I? And so I go into that for a little bit and I find what I'm doing is copying someone. You know, I go find some inspiration images in Pinterest. And, and I think that even that kind of exploration can be useful, but I just have to be super honest with myself when I do that. So it's not like, oh, ta-da, here's my painting. It's like, no, here's me trying to make the marks like so-and-so is making and see if I can do something with that. And usually the answer is, is no, not really. Um, so yeah. I'd say I still have to revisit that. So it's kind of an ongoing, I, I'd say an ongoing struggle is too hard, too strong a word, but a, an ongoing kind of awareness of wanting to get it right versus really being 
experimental and open. Yeah, um, that definitely happens to me. And it happened in the midst of both series that I was working on. So a year and a half ago, I finished a series of paintings based on poetry. And it took me two years to make the series because for the first year, I realized later, in fact, Alice pointed out to me on a podcast episode that I was trying too hard to get the idea right, that mm-hmm. I had, I was, I'd, it, I'd absorbed the poems, I'd read all about the poet, I knew everything, I just needed to let go and let things happen, but I was trying too hard to control things. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a book about that series of, of um, paintings and in the book was all about that process of what you're describing of trying realizing oh I'm trying too hard I need to let this just happen and then what tends to happen for me is if I just let it happen the painting started to come together really quickly and it's a remember this is how it works not all that struggling I was doing for a year if I just let go it starts to happen And then a kind of meaning, because I didn't understand why I was even doing this, but the reason I was doing it came to me once I let go. And then I had a central theme for the book and a central idea. Um, And then in this series, it happened again, where I was, I found myself a few times making a perfectly acceptable abstract landscape, like, that's perfectly nice. Somebody might buy that. You know, it's very attractive, but it's not what I want. I don't want perfectly acceptable. So then I get irritated with myself, like, oh, doing it again, scribble mm-hmm. all over it, throw some paint that's the wrong color, do something to ruin right. it. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise it's just going to sit there being boring. And, um, and so I totally know what you mean. It's, a constant reminder and then I don't know if, do you ever have this where I've got some little pieces with me at the moment that are really experimental and then I look mm-hmm. at them and think but that's not enough like that's not in, that's that's too experimental that nobody's going to accept that yeah I kind of have that although it's my my feeling is more like there's not enough stuff on that like it looks like just a couple of pieces of collage on a blank sheet and people are going to think it's simple and simplistic. And although I love it. And then I notice myself thinking that <laughs> like, okay, here I am getting outside of myself, trying to anticipate what some viewer is going to like or not. And I think it's so important to for me to notice that, to notice that thought, because I know that when I go there, like what's the viewer going to think, or is the, is it going to sell? I make crummy work. Yeah. And the only way I can continue to develop my own sort of sensibility and expression, my own voice, as it were, is to notice those times when it really grabs me and listen to that you know, put it out there. It doesn't mean I have to spend a hundred bucks on framing materials and haul it up to a gallery. It doesn't mean that like making the work and then getting the work to an audience or out in the world, if you want, they're two different things. And making the work to me is, is it's important to make the honest work and not all of it has to go out into the world. So if I'm looking at my work and a piece like that, that, you know, it's too experimental or too spacious or too simplistic or too something for an audience, an imagined audience. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I might choose to maybe not frame that and put it in, in a gallery, but it doesn't take away the value as a piece of my expression. And, you know, there's so many platforms to put it on, like, I always put my work out on, I don't know, Instagram and, and Facebook. And so there's, you know, just having a piece that says, oh yeah, that really speaks to me, but I don't think other people will like it. It's like, okay, but it's, it is a, it's an honest expression. And it's so funny because when I hear you say it, I think, but how could you know? But still I have that voice in my own head, but how could you know that other people won't like it? A couple of the paintings I brought back from my exhibition are are my favorite favorites that I was sure would sell. 
and a couple that sold are ones I was sure wouldn't sell. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm actually working on something for my own house, a piece of artwork where I'm writing words in paint, and it's just for me to frame and put in my house. And I'm calling it, um, but I'm not sure of the exact title, but something like the things my brain said that were wrong or all the things I've been wrong about. And then I'm writing all the things that I've been wrong about, big and small, uh, in my life that I can think of, like um, artists can't make any money and you'll never be a full-time artist and personal things and all sorts. Because when I remind myself of that, I'll never go back to England. Um, I'll be in America for the rest of my life. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. You look at it and you go, I'm basically pretty much always wrong. Like most of the time, what my brain says is wrong. So if I think nobody will like this painting I'm making, then mm-hmm. probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Likelihood is, because I usually am, I'll be wrong. Because what happens in our brain is, uh, certainly for me, and I think for most people, I have a thought and then I believe it. It's just, okay, I had that thought. That's true. And actually, mostly not. Mostly I'm wrong. That person I thought was annoyed at me because they didn't say hello. Actually, they just didn't see me and they were in their own world and they're not annoyed at me at all. That kind of thing. Uh And I think if we think of it that way, um, it is helpful, even if it's not true, even if you listening are wrong less often than I am. Um, just tell yourself you might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you don't have to frame it. You don't have to varnish it. You don't have to any of that if you don't want to, but share it with someone. Mm-hmm. Or not. It's no, yeah. there's no pressure on it. I think I, isn't that a freeing thought that, okay, I'm wrong a lot of the time. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. You know, it's just like information. It's neutral. It's not like, oh, bad me. I'm wrong. It's, or isn't that great? I'm wrong. Knowing that, they are thoughts and opinions. They're not any kind of absolute truth. And certainly what's true for me in terms of my art practice, my ideas and the things that drive me um, that I feel are like important guides, you know, might not be for everybody. So, you know, just putting them in a context where they have the degree of importance that they deserve for the context, you know, makes makes sense to me. Do you, so when you, if you're using exploratory work, uh, experimentation as a general way of working, are you beginning, would you say you begin with a concept or an idea or are you following intuition and then getting the concept later? It's usually the latter. And that thing you mentioned of like some people can have a master plan or you sort of have the impression that people have a master plan and then you go to try to plan your painting out and it doesn't work. I think of like planning and making it up as you go along as sort of uh, a continuum. And so I don't plan my paintings for sure, but I might, I mean, but you have to have certain things to begin with, like what materials am I using? What surface am I working on? Um, and then I, I usually have some, some parameters around what, what I'm exploring, like this, this thing I'm doing with little bits of upcycled old pieces. <laughs> At first, I was really just putting, putting those bits together on lightweight paper, and, and I wasn't sure what those were going to be, except they were going to be parts of other pieces. So I wasn't trying to make pieces of these kind of mosaics. I was just making the mosaics as parts, as building blocks. And so that's kind of as far as I got conceptually or planning wise. And they've ended up in these pieces that suggest concepts, suggest ideas to me that are about you know, bits of your past showing up and kind of reconfiguring and being put back together in a new way. And the kind of world upheaval we're in now where most of our lives have changed considerably, like some of our old lives are in shreds. And being able to kind of pick up the pieces and reassemble them into something new and useful and hopeful, or or not. I mean, being able to reassemble them 
in some in some kind of way. Those are the ideas it's suggesting to me. Yeah. And in past work, I've I've done some stuff that suggests to me kind of, and it's it's really when I think about it, a similar idea, stuff washed up on a beach stuff that washes up and you don't know where it's been or when, and you get this really random assortment of stuff and assembling the really disparate elements into something beautiful or hopeful, or that makes it some kind of visual sense. That, that's an idea I keep kind of chasing. I like that. One, one of my favorite I have different things I'll do to try and spark ideas when Uh I'm in that exploratory stage. And one of my favorite things is I've got a box of collage scraps, which very professionally my laptop's currently sitting on as a laptop stand, but it also serves as a box of collage scraps. And in there's all sorts of things. And I'll close my eyes, take something out, and then in a sketchbook, stick that down and whatever it is that came out of the box. And then I have to then I set myself a challenge to make it look nice by putting other things with it to come up with some kind of composition. So the limitation there is that I'm not allowed to choose that first piece. That first piece might be really ugly piece of paper that comes out and I have to use it somehow in my final little composition. I I like those kind of little challenges that I set myself. And what I find is some of them, will turn into something bigger that goes on for a while, like your current project. Some of them just don't ever turn into anything other than that's what they are. They're in a sketchbook and they stay there. Um, And I think that's another thing that I notice with people who are perhaps a bit further back on their journey is they feel like everything they make or everything they do has to lead somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I've just wasted my time and I've wasted paint and I've wasted paper because this is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important to realize that you said this earlier, but not everything has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's still mm-hmm. valid. It's still important for us because we did it. So mm-hmm. it must be it must be us if we did it. Well, um, I guess, you know, I'd say the stuff that you make, that, say you don't like, like you make... Um... I, I have a similar process of, you know, like, like taking some collage piece and then putting other stuff with it. I might do 12 of those at a time. And if I, if one or two of them are like, oh yeah, hmm, then I'm happy. Like, I don't have to like all of them, but it's the yeah. one or two that, that maybe spark a new idea or they, they speak to me in some way. Those are the things I'm talking about. Those ones are, are like the, okay, those are, those are true to my, my sort of visual sensibility or those kind of speak to me. The others, they're not a waste of time. They're part of the process. You got to make 10, 10, you know, stupid ones to, to get a couple of ones that might lead somewhere else. And so big deal, you know, paint over the other ones or, or keep adding to them or like, it's, it's great to have ones that don't speak to me because then it's easy to, to mess them up even further. Yeah. I have a, a number of practices that I do when I'm kind of where you are, now, like just finished one thing and about to, you know, not quite sure what the next direction is, but my, my challenge I put for myself isn't okay. Take the random thing and then try to make it into a good composition. I take, I choose the pieces. I don't take a random one, but usually Mm -hmm. I'll start with one or two pieces of collage and then do some drawing and then do some painting and then do me, whatever. Um, But my focus is to try to really mash stuff together. Mm-hmm. and really get some things that are just super ugly together or contrasting or like, I would never put this with this, but see if they can talk to each other in a, in a jarring kind of way. If I'm trying to make it good or trying to make it right or trying to make it look good to me, then I'll hold back and I won't be as free with it. If I'm really trying to get jarring contrast, not just, ah, eh, this doesn't talk to that, but yeah, this really fights with that. That's what yeah. I want. So, yeah. And, and is that, so that would be much more likely to spark something completely new as an idea. It might, or it might not. It's just, you know, trying to make it good might just be just as good. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I tend to like when I'm in 
I, I kind of do that when I'm in a funk and I think I'll never have a good idea again. I'm not yeah. really an artist. What have I been doing all these years? Yeah. That kind of thing, which yes, everybody has that. Okay. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny that people think that you don't yeah, have that if you, if you're perceived as being successful to whatever degree people perceive you as being successful. That's actually, I think one of the most important things I do in my teaching is to give people, is to share with people. No, everything you feel is normal. You think there's something wrong with you because you're a beginner. You think I feel like this because I'm a beginner, but you feel like that because you're engaged in making art and that's what it feels like. And when once people realize, really get that, then they can relax and say, oh, okay. if even Jane feels in a funk and doubts herself. I mean, that was going to be one of my questions about this whole idea of exploration. When you're really, you know, going off on an idea and you don't know if anyone else will like it and and you're just really engaged in that idea. Do you have, and I think this is what you touched on there, a sense of imposter syndrome? Um, not when I'm really engaged. No, like when I'm really engaged in in the work and I'm really chasing the idea, it doesn't it doesn't enter my head. It's when oh, I'm interesting. Yeah, it's when I'm um, not as engaged. I get doubts and imposter syndrome yeah yeah I think yeah sorry go on I was just gonna say when I I get it when maybe not when I'm in doing it but when I step back and think oh this is really as I'm saying like weird or different or not like anything I've done before I can then get this oh it's probably perhaps it's crap perhaps it's just really really crap and you like it but you're probably just going to make a fool out of yourself if you share that with people and when I tell my students that I feel like that sometimes it's such a big weight off their minds to know that oh okay so there's nothing wrong with me because I feel like that um and we had Seth Godin on the podcast a few last year sometime and he said if you don't feel imposter syndrome from time to time then you're just not doing it right like you're not, you're not pushing far enough. You're not trying new things. You're not, if you feel completely in command of everything all the time, you must be taking the easy road, which I really loved that way of looking at it. That's great. I mean, you know, one thing I, I tell students in my, in my live classes, um, I used to do it on the third day of class. Now I do it on the first day of class, like of a five-day class. I, I go over the, what the meltdown is. And the meltdown is, is when you start doubting yourself. Um, you think you've wasted your time and money by being at this workshop. You look around and everybody else's work looks great and everybody else knows what they're doing and your work looks like crap and you don't know what you're doing. And you're wondering if you should even be here and so forth. I mean, um, the voices go on and on. So I kind of describe that to them and say, okay, so this is the meltdown and it shows up sometime during the workshop. And if it shows up, great. That's just part of the process. And I don't have any, I don't have any advice for making it not show up. It's just part of the process. Just recognize it like, yep, that's my meltdown. And I think people have meltdowns in workshops because they're, they're working to my direction. They're not working to their own direction. Like there's no crawling back to your comfort zone because I'm cracking the whip. And so I just kind of explained that at the beginning that this is kind of normal and it's very likely to happen in a workshop when you're, you know, you're not in your own studio, you're not making the rules I am. And it may, you know, it may be a little jarring and, and then, you know, congratulate yourself because that means you've pushed yourself. It means you're doing it right. And yeah. I think that meltdown feeling, even when we're not in a workshop, when we're working on our own and things are not going well, it's that feeling that stops people from maybe being really exploratory because I don't want to have that uncomfortable feeling of not knowing what I'm doing. I want to feel mm-hmm. in control. And I think that's what stops us. Like I've I noticed now we're talking about this. I'm looking at these little pieces. And when a couple of them went really ugly, I I 
just laid off them. I didn't realize because I've been busy with other things. I just thought I'd got busy with other things. But really, it's that I feel like, oh, I was on a path, but maybe it was just I don't I can't do this. So I didn't actually have a meltdown. I just had a yeah, I think I'll just step away from that and not bother with it anymore. And this conversation is inspiring me to think, actually, that's what I can get back to when I don't know what to do. I can mm-hmm. get back to those little ones and just keep putting layers on and see what happens and not worry about them. So it's very insidious too sometimes for me when it creeps up. Mm-hmm. Because I can me tell too. myself, well, I've got podcasts to record and courses to teach and I haven't had time to get into the studio. Yeah, I find the same thing if it's like, eh. but th- then I'm, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to leave it. But I know that that just leaving it is just not going to, cut it for me um because of the way my studio is like I have my studio which is this you know high ceiling space and then there's a loft up there where at the end of the day I usually do yoga or or strength training or I, I do a little physical stuff and mental stuff and from up there I can see my studio wall from a nice distance and so I know that if I leave something that I just don't like it's going to irritate me during yoga which it's sort of dumb. So if it's really like, okay, I really do need to leave that. I turn it around or I get it out of, off the wall so that I'm not looking at it, but I know I have to just keep going and make it, make it super edgy and ugly rather than leaving it in this kind of, Oh, I don't know, all sort of stage. Like it has to be, I don't know. I, I know that leaving it in that stage is, is going to irritate me more. So that's one thing. The other thing is, um, my practice of mashing stuff together, trying to make it ugly. That way I can really lean into that aspect. Like the expectation is that it's really going to be jarring. And so something surprising and interesting is going to come out of that. I'm not going to be like disappointed that it's ugly or I'm not going to be, oh, this is ugly, so I'm going to leave it. No, it's like, oh, yeah, this is really ugly. Let's keep going. Yeah, um, it, It's a way of sort of psyching myself into finding surprises. Yes, yes. And so more likely to spark ideas than the yes. way I do it, which is uh, than my exercise I described, which is still interesting and fun, but not as likely to really lead you to somewhere brand new. And so I really like that idea. Your practice of taking the random collage piece and making something good with it. I'm going to try that. And you're going to try my exercise of taking a a collage (laughs) piece and and making something just as jarring and contrasty and edgy as you can. We're going to try those. I so think that's a good idea. If, that, yeah. if that's okay with you, I don't mean to tell yeah, you. Yeah, no, I think that'll be great. One of, one of my favorite ways to get into the joy feeling is to go back and look at my older work, including the most recent stuff, and, and, and honestly get myself to admit which ones I'm not that bothered about and which things still really feel exciting or there's something in it maybe there's just a corner mm-hmm. but and then um and I'm just going through this process now I actually print those out I'm old-fashioned I don't put them on Pinterest I print them out I put them in a sketchbook mm-hmm. and, nice. and then I curate them and go no not that one and tear that page out until I'm down to like the ones I'm really really love and mm-hmm. then what is it in that because I can find ideas then for the next thing to do, the next idea to work on. Because like you, it doesn't work for me if I just get random paints and just make random marks that I don't get anywhere with that. I have to have some concept or, or some some starting point. And that, I mean, it can be like a visual, like you're describing. And sometimes I do that too. I find, you know, either old work of my own or or something that jars me visually and get into that. And sometimes it's really just a concept of using a certain kind of using certain materials in a certain kind of way. And let me see what that does. When you, you let exploration experimentation lead, you, you start to actually make something. That's Mm -hmm. when you start to find your own 
voice. I don't like style because style is very confining or that's my style, but your mm-hmm. voice, your ability to express yourself, your ability to be different from other people that comes, I think, from letting experimentation lead the way. I think that's right. And like, although I know that intellectually and I know that from experience, it's still a constant or repeated challenge to to be always exploring. And I know that's where the good work comes from, but here's what happens. Sometimes I do that, okay? And I started a series, I was like, oh yeah, this, this is great. Let me make more of those, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then I try to copy myself and it's like, mm-hmm. And that um, never works for me when I try that. Does it work no. for you? No. And so I have to find that sweet spot between copying the good stuff that I did and, and ex- like between that and on the other hand, exploring and departing from it. I need to find, I'm always trying to find that place where I can explore the idea further without copying, without really just trying to copy the piece. Yeah. And if the idea kind of develops and is more solid, then I find that that works. It, for me, I always have to remind myself, it's not copying the thing because I fall into that too. I bet we all do. It's copying or mimicking the approach I took to it, which mm-hmm. was always experimental, exploratory and free. For mm-hmm. me, that's always how I get to the best stuff. But 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 yeah, when you get to the good stuff through that process of exploration, you go, oh, right. OK, I cracked it. That's it. That's something I can reproduce. No, that doesn't work. So then you've got to remember if I go back to that same mindset and truly I'm still in that same mindset, something else will come out, which will also be interesting, but in a different way. And then I'll have to not copy that. I'll have to go back to the same mindset again. Um, right. And, and you know, sometimes with, with the similar materials and similar colors and similar kinds of processes, you can kind of explore within that um, box. And that to me is kind of the essence of being able to get into an, an idea fairly deeply by doing a bunch of pieces where I'm sort of using similar stuff, yeah. similar components, and then just using them differently instead of trying to copy the previous piece. I'm saying, okay, well, what, you know, what about this variable or that variable, or what if I change this or that? And, and it's kind of, um, it's more visual and intuitive than, than me asking verbally, well, what if I change this? You know, it's not, it's not quite as um, logical and verbal as I make it sound, but. Well, um, that's a word before we wrap up this topic that I just want to explore intuitively, you said, and that's mm-hmm. a word that I get asked about a lot because I use it a lot when I'm doing demos and things only because I can't think of another word for what it is I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, so I just picked the colors intuitively and now I'm going to do this. And then people say, well, what do, what do you, you mean, mean by <laughs> pick the colors intuitively? And I think, I mean, it just popped in my head, get that color, that color, that color. So I did like, mm-hmm. wh- what, how do you define that for people? I think of it like improvisation and I'm a musician as well. I play the ukulele. My my favorite thing to do is improvise melodies while someone else is playing the chords. A musician doesn't just pick up an instrument and be able to do that without any technical skill and without any experience. And so pay, playing intuitively takes an enormous amount of experience and practice and even understanding of music theory if, mm-hmm. if you want to go there. Um, you know, not necessarily, but it doesn't hurt. So it takes an awful lot of, of experience and practice. So like, you don't want to hear me playing a saxophone solo because I don't know how to play the saxophone. So I think art is, is the same. I mean, once you have a lot of experience and you've, you've, you can see and you can use your hands and eyes to make images, you're literate in color and value and shape and line and texture and all the components that go into making art, whether it's, whether it's abstract or representational, once you're very literate in all of that, 
then you can paint intuitively. But before you kind of even know what you're doing, don't tell me you paint intuitively. I, I know yes. people do like as beginners, I say, oh, let me just be intuitive. And I think there's, there's value in that actually for the beginner. I mean, I say, I don't yes. think that's, I, I actually teach people to do that as beginners as a way of getting over the fear of yes. making a mess. And then we introduce the things you need to know to start shaping these into paintings. But mm-hmm. I agree with you. I was trying to teach something to someone and I went on YouTube looking for a video about intuitive painting. Mm-hmm. And most of the videos were people who just were throwing paint on a canvas and saying it's intuitive painting. And I was like, okay, but just, just yeah, very can nice. you make a strong image yeah. that's compelling? You know, yeah. can you make something that yeah. has me you? Yeah. Um, so it's it's so we're saying then it's it feels like intuition, but maybe it's a series of thoughts that have gone through your mind so quickly because of past experience. Hmm. I pick my colors intuitively because that's what I feel like that day but I won't be picking things that don't I won't pick three yellows and black and white and think unless I'm making a yellow painting but I won't think that's enough to start with because I know I'm going to need at least one other color with the yellow to start making interesting things so so it's that it, it is just hearing the little voice though that says what if you I think what a lot of people do is they hear the little voice that says, what if you tried this? And they go, mm. I once took this art class with a um, teacher when I was trying to find my way and he had a class full of very beginners. So I was in the wrong class and they had all bought really expensive art materials because quite a well-to-do town, but they didn't know what to do with any of it. And he was teaching them how to draw a, a cube in 3D. That's how basic it was. I was thinking, oh, why am I here? But what was interesting was they kept asking, can I can I use the green now? And he'd all he did the whole class was say, I don't know, try it and see what happens. And they were like, can I, do you think I can draw a line now? It was so timid because they weren't willing to just, they heard the thing saying, put some green down. But they weren't willing to just put it down. They were. They wanted yeah. someone to say that's the right thing. That's why I teach people who are beginners to work intuitively for a few weeks mm-hmm. because I want them to be okay with doing whatever they feel like mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. I think what you said before about, you know, that voice told me to pick these colors. It's the intuition, I think, the, the intuitive action, whether it's picking colors or doing the mark, is on the basis of a huge well of experience. Yeah. Like we speak intuitively. I don't have to make up the sentence before speaking it. I just speak easily and intuitively. I think, I think it's more like that. Like I know the words, I know how to create the sentences, but that's based on, you know, my 58 years of, no, I haven't been speaking that long, 56 years of of talking and listening to English, but like in a foreign language, you don't speak intuitively until you've digested all of that. Yes. You know, you, you kind of think of the word, oh yeah, that word, or, oh, what's the construction of this sentence? And then you make the sentence. And I think painting is very much like language learning or learning a musical instrument. Um, yeah, it's great to do it, to do it intuitively in the, or to do it without too much direction in the beginning and maybe start noticing what colors you like together or whatever like that, but not to confine yourself, but to just see what's possible. I mean, I love doing that with, with beginners to like, here's some paint and here's some, some drawing materials. And, and I'll give a little direction, like here, take your finger and like, um, you know, dip it in the paint and smear it on the canvas and then add some white and smear that on, see what happens and then draw a line. And then, you know, and here's a bunch of ways to do lines, see how many more you can make. And you know, yeah. just, and that's a kind of, I mean, we call that intuitive, but I think making, you know, that's using the materials into intuitively, but to make work intuitively is, it's like a literacy thing. It's, you, yeah. you know, you can, you can be fairly free flowing with your expression once you kind of know the, once you kind of have it under your belt that the visual stuff. 
But I think to wrap up this idea of exploration, it's partly the experience. It's also the courage because still you have to be willing to cut your painting in half with a saw and stick it back together again. And for many, many people, they might have the knowledge, they might have the experience, but they're going to hear that little voice and go, no, I'm not doing that. That's crazy because I don't know where that's going. I don't know where that's going to lead. And I might mess up two paintings by cutting them in half. I think that's a really important point. I mean, that's the thing that I, I hear the most from students. It's the planning. It's the knowing, knowing how it's going to turn out before doing something. And that does, it takes courage and that the courage can, it takes practice. I mean, for me, it's taken practice. Like, I still, you know, if I'm going to cut a painting in half or whatever, you know, it's still like jumping off a cliff, but I'm used to jumping off the cliff. I'm used to that feeling. I'm used to feeling like, okay, I'm wrecking something. And knowing that it's not getting any better sitting on the wall the way it is, you know, it's, it's something I'm, I'm used to the, that feeling of jumping off a cliff when I feel like I'm, I'm risking wrecking something. And I know that that's the way to the better stuff. I think so that's I the key, isn't it? We know we've had enough experience of doing it both ways to know, okay, wrecking it not always works, but has more of a chance of working. Exactly. And it might wreck it. Safe. Yeah, you might just wreck it. Yeah, I you've might got just to wreck something to that, wreck it. But if it was really speaking to me, if it was really singing to me as a piece, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be wrecking it. And so like, oh yeah, maybe it just needs one little touch and it'll be perfect. It'll wrap it all together. And it's like, no, it won't. It won't. It needs, it needs some major, it, I need to not get so precious about it. And doing something drastic for me is, is often the place where it's, it's really experimental because I don't know where it's going. And that's the place I want to be. Cause I know where that, I know that that is what leads to the surprises. And, and to me, it's what, it's what leads to, to work that, that speaks to me. It doesn't all, I mean, I have a ton of bad work, so it's not, no, it's not a guarantee that, oh yeah, if I wreck this, it's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) If if I wreck this, it might just be wrecked. I think that's the perfect place to wrap up that discussion. That's brilliant. (laughs) If I wreck this, it might just be wrecked. So to wrap up this episode, we're going to just cover what's inspired us this week. So mine is really quickly. I want to share this because I was having a conversation with someone about how intimidating and horrible social media is and how they really don't like it. And I'm taking a course at the moment about YouTube because I want to use YouTube more effectively than I do at the moment. And um, I'm taking this online course. It's quite a big investment of time and money to take this course. So I ummed and ahed, but I'm doing it now. And there's so much I'm not doing that I could be doing. There's just so much. And I was learning the other day about how to make thumbnails at work. You know, when people can see your video, um, how to they see the little square in the search when it pops up, how to make that more clickable, how to make that something that people want to click on. And I have no design background, um, but this wasn't even design. It was more about what works on YouTube. And so I was sitting there and it was like 11 o'clock at night and I'm playing around in Canva creating these um, different thumbnails for my videos and trying to work out, okay, demos will look like this and talking ones will look like this. And it's just so much fun to learn something new. I don't always have the time to dedicate. I wish I had more time to sit and go through this bit by bit by bit, but I just find it fascinating that I can learn this Yes, I've had to pay money for it, but in the past there wouldn't have been I couldn't have gone online and learned all this from someone who's been really successful on YouTube, then had the technology at my fingertips to go do it because Canva costs almost nothing for me to use every month pay every month. And then mess around and see, oh, that video got some extra clicks because I just changed one thing or I changed the title and it did this or that. So 
I, I am reminded that I love learning new things, whether it's art or business um, or teaching. Just I like being in a course and learning new things. So I'm enjoying it. Um, what's inspired you this week? Well, that just did. Now <laughs> I, mean, I want to learn how to do thumbnails for my video. <laughs> well, you can copy my channel once I'm done. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. The thing that, that I found inspiring was a couple of weeks ago, I was kayaking uh, with a group off the north coast of Newfoundland. And um, we stopped on an island for like lunch, I guess. And I found this whole stack of cardboard cartons, you know, like they, they were flat. They weren't, they weren't um, you know, folded up into cartons, but they were from a fishery on Baffin Island. Or no, it wasn't on Baffin Island. It was called Baffin Fisheries. Anyways, what was so cool about this? It was this stack really heavy of these cardboard cartons that had been probably at the, you know, hanging around at the bottom of the ocean for quite a while and washed up on shore. And I started, you know, taking it apart and pulling apart the surface paper from the cardboard. It was printed. I thought, this is exactly what I'm doing with my own work. I'm, I'm soaking my collage pieces and then peeling the paper off the back. And it struck me as like kind of, it reinforced the idea I have of stuff that just washes up on the beach that you can kind of make something, put you know, put the pieces back together. So that was just a really lovely epiphany. I, I didn't take the whole carton, the whole stack of cartons back, but I did peel off some paper and I brought those back. Uh, I'm just so, laughing at the idea of the people who were with you who would have just not even it's so funny with artists that we see something like oh, that yeah. and we're like oh this is amazing and people are like it's just a pile of cardboard. it was funny on this trip it was a seven day total backcountry isolated kayaking trip and so the, the landscape was beautiful and several of the people kept asking me like are you inspired by this landscape or are you in are you getting inspiration for your painting from this trip? And my first answer was, no, this is not how I get inspired. Because they, I think the expectation was that I would be experiencing this landscape and then I would go to my studio and paint that landscape. And then, you know, we got on this island. And you did get yeah, inspiration. Yeah, I was like, okay, yes, yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jane. This has been an absolute pleasure. Where can, just tell people again where they can find you. Well, thank you. It's it's an honor to talk to you and, and so interesting to hear more about your process. I'm at janedaviesstudios.com. And uh, yeah, if you Google Jane Davies, it comes up. And what's your Instagram? Jane Davies Art. Excellent. And Jane has all sorts of stuff on her website for you to have a look at. Yeah. And um, I will be back next week with Alice for our last episode before we take a four week break for the summer. So don't miss that one. But this has been an absolute joy, Jane. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Louise. Take care, everybody. Bye. Are you, are you done been, recording though? Uh, no, I'm still recording because if you say something funny, I might want to put it on outtakes. So go on, okay. tell a joke. <laughs> no, I'm afraid I don't have any. <laughs> yeah, that was my, my husband's idea. He's a building designer, so he he designed the studio. Well done, Jane. Marrying a building yeah, designer. <laughs> It was 79 yesterday or the day before, and they issued news alerts about drinking lots of water, not going out in the sun, being aware, be very careful. And I was just thinking, oh, people in America will be finding this hilarious. It's 80 degrees in July, and there's a warning on the TV. <laughs> In Victoria, British Columbia, um, I was with some friends who are from there. She looked up on her phone and there was the same thing. There was a, a heat or weather alert for 
Victoria because it was going to be 75 degrees <laughs> and it was like weather alert it's going to be gorgeous and comfortable <laughs> so whatever so what you see on YouTube and what you see on my websites what you see publicly is what I choose you to see that would be my cat, Nelson. <laughs> Making a uh, guest appearance. We'll put a credit to Nelson at the end. <laughs> <laughs>